Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime-drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 10, The Secret of Superman, is first-time guest and comic book artist V. Ken Marion. Welcome, man. Yo, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So excited. This show uh, means a lot to me. So this is going to be a fun one. I'm excited to talk to you about this because I feel like from our earliest conversations about Superman on my other show, Digging for Kryptonite, this is something that you have cited as a favorite of yours. And this is the first time that you and I are really comparing notes on it. So uh, it'll be cool to get your take on all of this. A quick disclaimer to the audience. I am I'm sick as a dog right now and I'm powering through. I've got my hot water with honey and lemon here and we're going to try to <laughs> it should be okay. Uh but just bear with me and if I sound uh, stuffier than usual, that's why. But uh thank you for bearing with us. So this episode here, again, season 1 episode 10 aired November 17th, 1952, written by Wells Root, directed by Tommy Carr. My synopsis, a nefarious doctor identifies a connection between Superman and the Daily Planet then uses a truth serum on the Daily Planet staff to try to uncover Superman's true identity. This one was a lot of fun. Before we really dive in fully to this particular episode, I mean, talk to me about your history with this show. Is this something you watched with your dad when you were little? So, yeah, I was trying to think about that. Like, I definitely watched it with my parents. It was, and it, okay, so we're both in our mid-30s. Um, I remember being on TV when I was a real little kid. Like, when I was like, three, four-ish years old, whether it was TV Land or Nick at Night or the Disney Channel, it was one of those channels that it was on TV. And like, so that combined with the fact that I watched a lot of Nick at Night growing up as a kid, like like I Love Lucy and Bewitched and Leave it to Beaver and stuff like that with my parents, like this style of show, like this black and white kind of like sort of wholesome kind of like, not sitcom, but like half hour kind of show it's very nostalgic to me. Like it brings me this like style of show brings me right back to being a kid. And like, it, it just in the 1950s aesthetic, like it just, I don't know, like, and my dad grew up with the show cause he was born in the, he was, he was a kid in the fifties. So like he would always tell me about it. So this, this whole show is sort of just like reminds me a lot of my dad. And then when I was in college in 2000, I can't remember mid two thousands, but like 2008, nine, somewhere in there. Um, I got my dad this first season for Christmas on DVD. And so that year, and it must've been 2008. So this would, we watched the whole first season back then. And to me, like in my head, that feels so recently, but I was doing the math and I'm like, God, it was like 15 years ago. Like, so yeah, that's, that's mind boggling to me. But, um, but yeah, it just, it really reminds me of my dad and my family and stuff. And like, I just love this take and this visual aesthetic of the character too. Yeah. No, I love to hear that. And and especially coming from your perspective as an artist. I mean, yeah, the show, it's got such a, it's got such a cool and iconic look and it just pulls you right into that world, you know, from the second yeah. that those opening credits kick off and you hear the music and, and you see it all unfold and you see him standing there uh, on the moon. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it grabs you instantly. And it's, 
it's this is definitely like one of my favorite versions of the character too like in the sense of like i love that he doesn't fight supervillains. i love that it's like he's not super powered like he's not crazy super powered like he, he doesn't he's not omnipotent right he doesn't have like super hearing that he can hear the whole place he's like kind of just like a regular guy who's strong and fast you know and like that sort of i don't want to say realism but like because the show's not realistic, but like it sort of feels that way at the same time. Like it's it's very grounded, but at the same time, it's very like kinetic. Like he's always moving and jumping, and like he's not standing posturing and like like he's not like a like a sad stoic Superman. He's like a very like quick and fast and you know very confident Superman. And like I I really dig it, man. Like this is like definitely a touchstone for me as like how I see the character in my head. Nice. Yeah. I've been using the word visceral a lot. I feel in these episodes because it, it is he's And especially in this first season where he's throwing punches, he's mixing it up with the bad guys. And yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it really is a, a really a perfect balance for this show in this era of, of being grounded. Like you said, he's not fighting supervillains and we have our, you know, gangsters of the week or, or, you know, mad doctor or scientist of the week or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So it's grounded in that sense, but yeah, they're not, they're not slow or boring either, right? There, there, no, there is that action. Fast, and, and, yeah. and even in the case of the week, whatever it might be, you know, we've always got something we can kind of sink our teeth into. So it's, I, I agree. It's a nice, nice mix. I mean, I, one of the things, it wasn't in this episode, but one of the things that I remembered so much from the rewatch 15, God, 15 years ago is like, there was like this, it would have multiple times where like, I just remember this one scene where like Superman is like in you probably already covered this episode, but like, he's like fighting like a, like a group of like a gangsters and he kind of like jumps over a railing, yeah. like literally like jumps, like, like he puts his hands on the railing and kind of like hops over it, like, like parkour style almost. And then like lands in front of the guys and like fights them and like they hit him and he like takes hits, like, like normal people like hurt him. You know what I mean? Like when they punch him. So like, it's a very, like, it's a very like, like almost like Robin Hood kind of Superman, you know, if you're a Zorro, like it's, I, I feel like this is very similar to the shows of that era, like the Robin Hood, movies and like the Zorro TV show. It's like that type of character. And like, I don't know, man, it's, it's very fun. That episode is actually the next one, which I've already recorded and it's no holds barred. And it's about wrestling and this, this crooked promoter who is, uh, he's got someone in prison who's teaching his fighters how to use these pressure point techniques. And yes, it culminates in the scene you just described. And, and we talked about this when we recorded of, of him jumping over the railing and yeah, it, you know, kinetic was the word, I think the word used before. And it, it is that, I mean, it's, it's so much fun. It's such it's a fun so episode. Cool. It's so cool to see Superman like that. And like the visuals of him, like, like his costume isn't like, perfect like it's like he's not like he's wearing like like sweatpants and a sweatshirt if you know like it's like a tight fitting sweatpants sweatshirt and his cape like like hangs low in the back like it's not cropped to his neck around the collar like it hangs low like just he's kind of like messy looking a little bit and like that adds to like the the like i don't know just that like visceral nature that the character has in these shows yeah, I, again, especially in the in in this first season, it he is a little rougher around the edges, right? In various mm-hmm. ways, and and very much calls to mind that original golden age iteration of the character, where he was like really mixing it up, and it, it's so cool. Maybe you already answered this in in talking about the scene with him jumping over the the railing, but is there anything else in terms of either specific episodes or scenes or moments or just themes or visuals, like when you think back on the show? What's the stuff that really stands out to you the most? Well, aside from that stuff, like the practicality of everything, like like when his, he runs, like I love how like when he runs and jumps out to fly and lands when he flies, like it's so, it feels so like, like you never see that in the show now. Like now he like kind of like gent, like, like Superman, I feel like has become less uh, kinetic as like the time's gone on. Like even the Zack Snyder stuff, which is very kinetic, like, but Superman himself, like, he doesn't, like, move a lot, you know? And, like, I love just, like, this this super, like, active version of Superman. But specific episodes, I actually always remember the Haunted Lighthouse one. I don't know why. I just think, like, like I love that, like, spooky, like, like ghost story aspect. It's something that you don't really get with Superman a lot. And, like, like when we talked about Smallville, like the vampire episode is one of my favorite ones because it's so like out of left field of like, it's like a, like a Halloween, like monster kind of episode. Um, so like, yeah, I love 
any of the stuff like that. And I also like the um, the detective crime noir kind of aspect the show had too. Like again, like not at all what the modern Superman's like. It's it just feels so different and like like I I, I want to use the word relatable, but like I don't know if that's the right word. I just think it's like more fast paced, you know. No, I hear you. Look, on the subject of the Haunted Lighthouse, that was episode two and we covered it. And I, you know, I made my peace with it and I can definitely, <laughs> honestly, like I can, I can really appreciate it now in a way that I didn't the first time. I, and not to rehash, but I really just think it aired second and it's included second on the DVD, even though you know, they were shot in, in a different order. And it was just the watching these for the first time. It just, it was just a weird second outing after <laughs> Superman on Earth, which gives you the origin and sets everything up. But I can appreciate it now that I've seen most of the series and and I can appreciate how I was able to build the tension and the atmosphere on the island. It, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was cool. It was just, again, first time around, weird for the second episode. Well, super weird. Like, did you ever read the Hardy Boys growing up? No. When you were a kid? Oh, uh, so, see, like, to me, like, or the Boxcar Children, did you ever read that book series oh, when you were I a kid? I did read. I did read Boxcar yeah. Children. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like this show, in that episode in particular, but this show in general kind of like fits into that vein for me where like it like, like the Hardy Boys Boxcar Children, like mystery, like crime solving kind of thing. Like it, it sort of slots like in there in like my nostalgia in that same kind of like way. And that Haunted Lighthouse episode definitely feels like a Hardy Boys thing where there's like a spooky lighthouse and Jimmy Olsen's like, like, like looking around corners, like scares, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just like, I don't know. It's a, a different take, you know? No, fair enough. Uh, that's, that's, that's accurate. And like I said, I've, I've come around a lot on that episode. So, <laughs> uh, you know, look, by the time I watch it yet again, I'll, it'll probably be one of my favorites. <laughs> it definitely stands out, <laughs> you know, I'll give it that. It definitely, it's a memorable, it's a very memorable episode. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On to Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material, Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. So this one that we're talking about, just to kind of tee it up, there's a question from one of our patrons, Brian, shout out to Brian, who said, and he submitted this question right when I started the show, so I've been saving it for this episode. He said, I haven't rewatched in many years and only own the first four seasons on DVD. Yeah, the DVDs now are harder to come by. Oh, on that note, because I know in a lot of these episodes, I talk about how the the availability of the show can be a little bit of a frustration. It's not, you know, streaming with the subscription. As of this recording, and I don't know, this might change by the time people are hearing this, so check, don't hold me to this, but Voodoo uh, is selling the entire series digitally for 20 bucks. So for anyone who doesn't own it and you're looking to to pick it up and maybe watch along with us, uh, that's that's one potential avenue. So that was a pretty good deal recently. All right. Yeah, steal. Back to Amazon. Brian's. Yeah. Amazon, 10 bucks for each season. So yeah, that's on. Yeah, that's a discount. Yeah, that's a discount right now too. So uh, yeah, yeah. again, I know 
you know, we, we love our physical media, but at least, you know, to, to get access to the episodes, to buy them digitally is, uh, is something. So, okay, back to Brian's question. He says, I recall an episode in season one, this one, where someone tries to get the Daily Planet staff to reveal Superman's secret identity. When you rewatch, please let your listeners know if and when it's even suggested within the reality of the show that Superman even has a secret identity. And that's the thing. Not really. We're, we've done nine episodes so far, and in terms of what we've seen, there, there are lines here and there. In the case of the talkative dummy, there's a, there's a brief exchange, that's episode three, between Lois and Henderson, you know, kind of speculating about where Clark is running off to. And one of them says, oh, he probably goes and changes into Superman, and, you know, as a joke. So there was that little bit. Other than that, there might be more instances that, that I'm not remembering at the moment, but nothing, nothing that was full on addressing it or dealing with it in as significant a way as this episode or the stolen costume, which we're going to get to. Uh, in a couple a couple of episodes, which is a standout of, of the first season and, a, and of the entire series. So I'm excited for that. But I guess, you know, this raises an interesting question. Is it reasonable? And you could, I mean, you can ask this about the Superman mythology generally, but I guess specifically in the context of the show, is it reasonable for people to even assume that he has a secret identity? I don't think so. I think that's, in my head, that's why no one makes thinks that Superman is Clark Kent because like he doesn't wear a mask at all, so it's like he's not really hiding anything. You know what I mean? It's like so I I feel like if Superman was real and this this version of the Superman was real, I would just think it was just like I mean I I mean I I don't know, but I mean he's not. I guess you think he's on the costume all the time, but like it it wouldn't be more that I would think. I think it would be like it would be more that I would think. Who is Superman? It'd be more like, where does Superman go when he's not, when he's not being Superman? It wouldn't be like, oh, he's like, he's one of these people, like, like with glasses. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't think that. I I agree with you. I think, and you bring up, I think the the best argument against this, which is, if we're going to buy into people not recognizing Clark as Superman, I think mm-hmm. one of the ways to suspend our disbelief is that idea that people aren't looking for Superman in the person on the street. Right, so it's mm-hmm. easier to believe yeah. that they they're not making that connection. Uh, I agree with you. People might wonder where does he go, but would they think so far as as him having a secret identity? That's probably a bit of a that's you know that's probably a little bit of a cheat. I mean, I'll say this in fairness to the show. This was a like we were saying a more grounded sort of smaller scale Superman. He wasn't necessarily globe trotting and and averting natural disasters no. all over the world. So for people in Metropolis, he's essentially primarily based out of Metropolis. They know they, you know, they're not hearing about him elsewhere necessarily. They know he's only so present in Metropolis. There are so many times that he's not around. So I don't know that for, for someone to, to kind of take that step, that one step beyond where does he go to, oh, is he walking among us? I can... I, I can get on board with it. I can get on board with it. It doesn't yeah, total. It doesn't yeah. totally take me out of it. But I do. I do. It's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I do think that this show does a really good job of visually differentiating Clark and Superman. Like, I do think I find it believable that people don't think he's Superman just based on how like different they make him look, you know. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Lois and Jimmy and people who are like that type. I feel like it only works if like you don't spend a lot of time with Superman. If you just see him like show up and like he saves a cat or saves and stops a criminal. Right. And then like pieces out, then like, I think it's more believable that people don't put it together. But like, in like how this show is like Superman's like friends with like Henderson, and like, like all the same people Clark is, then it's a bit of a stretch. Yes, that is, that is, that is fair. There's no, uh, you know, there's no denying that. I guess one more thing in, in this episode's defense the the doctor Ort, who who will be discussing here, I, we got to tip our hat to him. He recognizes this connection between the Daily Planet and Superman, right? They always have the first stories about Superman. He appears, I guess, more regularly in those pages than anywhere else. So, if the idea is that it sort of starts there with this idea of a connection, and then maybe there are a few more steps before he gets to the idea of a secret identity, I, you know, again, I, I can I can buy into that a little bit more. So. Yeah, I could buy into that. Yeah. yeah. So we'll go, you know, we typically do sort of a, a scene by scene breakdown. Sometimes 
we stick to that more strictly. Other times it's a little bit looser. We can see where, where this takes us. But overall, big picture, I mean, what was your, what was your impression of this episode? It was fun, man. Like, again, like it felt like, like a Hardy Boys type, like mystery crime thriller thriller and like i loved henderson i feel like i totally forgot that character was like in this show and i feel that's an element of the mythos i wish was still there because i think he adds so much he's kind of like his like jim gordon kind of thing so that was really cool and yeah i just had a blast with it like i thought it was like i didn't remember what happened i mean obviously you know superman's gonna save the day at the end but yeah the acting everything was just fun to watch yeah it was good. And yeah, I agree. Henderson has annoyed me in some of these episodes. I feel like he's just a little bit too inept at his job. Okay. This this one, not so much, but there have been some other ones and some that are coming up where I'm just like, come on, man, you got to be better than this. But what I, what I do like, I love, you know, I do love the show's focus on the core Daily Planet cast and Henderson. And a lot of instances where you see uh, Perry White and Henderson, you know, working together and it's like, these guys are like running the city in, 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 in their own corner. And I like that. And in one of the final episodes of the season, we get via a narration, this tidbit that Perry White used to be the mayor of Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that adds a whole other dimension to it, which I always kind of keep in mind as I'm watching Perry. And it's like, especially when he's barking orders and he's, and, and he's making these big proclamations, it's like, well, yeah, the man used to run the city. So let's, let's listen yeah. to him. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, are we going to go with like scene by scene through this or like, where did you want to start? I think we can, we can at least start that way. And then if we want to jump around, yeah. we'll find, I'll say this as far as my overall impressions. I enjoyed this one a lot. I thought that it kind of sputtered out a bit in the end. And I thought that there a little bit more could have, could have happened. That would have been interesting, even if it were undone. And I'm referring to Lois knowing the secret it's under this hypnotic state and it's forgotten as soon as she's she's woken from it and i just thought that maybe that we they could have played with that a little bit more so i thought i felt it was a little anticlimactic but everything leading up to it i really enjoyed it this was i thought one of the stronger ones so far cool cool so we open on a very sleepy clark clark kent i mean more than he's asleep and he's woken by which is i loved i loved that he's like sleeps and eats and like is like a normal human being like like i love that that goes such a long way to like making the character like feel more relatable yeah it's not like he's just perched on a gargoyle at the top of a building listening for trouble or sitting in the fortress or something like that like yeah this guy's asleep and i don't think he really liked being bothered in the middle of the night either no he he didn't he was very annoyed yeah (laughs) which you know it's i gotta tell you man it's so funny because my after after watching everything the first time around a couple years ago my view of the George Reeves persona, especially as Clark, even more so as Superman, especially Clark is just one of, of impatience, especially in the first <laughs> season. And we talked in particular in the night of terror episode when he really like rips off the head of, of, uh, this back rack, the secretary at the daily planet. And he's just like so annoyed and impatient. And I think I've sort of projected that onto other interactions. Cause in my head, when I was watching the scene, I was like, Oh, he probably bites her head off about waking him up, but he, he's actually relatively nice. But, yeah. but yeah, Mrs. Olsen, very concerned that her son hasn't come up. This is another thing too, that I always bump up against. I think in my head, I think Jimmy's older than he really is. Cause I, there's stuff like this where he lives at home. And then there's an, a later episode, I think it's in season two where his mother goes out of town and he has to stay at Clark's and it's well, just like, I mean, he's like, he's like a 30 year old man in this show. The actor is like, I mean, maybe he's not that old, but he's like, definitely, definitely in his twenties, like a full blown adult. So like, I thought that was a little weird. I did bump up against that where like. The mom's calling Clark like, where, where is he? It's after midnight. And I'm like, he's probably like at a bar. <laughs> like, you know, like, I know. It's like, stop trying to salt this guy's game. He's, you know, maybe yeah. he's out there having fun. Jeez. Yeah. So I know. And she talks about the, you know, his typical routine and the diner, which she already checked. And, you know, the case is well, mounting that maybe something has, has gone awry. That is one of the things that. Like it, it, it definitely takes me back to that like 1950s. Like I don't know if this was reality or not, but like the, the projection of life that they've I've seen in all these like 1950s shows, like to Beaver and stuff. The idea that after midnight is like, oh my god, it's after midnight. Like, like to me, it's like I stay up past midnight way more than I want to. You know, like working and stuff. And it's just like that doesn't even seem like that late to me. So it's like, man, to live in a world where like midnight is like the deep middle of the night would be like <laughs> amazing, you know? 
get to bed by like eight thirty. You know. <laughs> like, no, I know. I I thought about that too because I agree. I think our vision of the fifties, the way it's been depicted on screen, is of a more conservative time. Like the idea that this young guy would be out. I think at this point in the scene, it's after 1 a.m. would be unheard of, would be scandalous, right? And I, I do mm-hmm. wonder too, an, an audience, if we have anyone who you know grew up during that time or, or, or can shed some light on this. Yeah, I, part of me feels like that's been sort of exaggerated in, in what we've seen. I, I don't know, but you know, maybe it was. Maybe it was like that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, my grandparents was asleep at like, you know, nine o'clock every night. So who knows? <laughs> like yeah, but Clark is relatively gentle and patient with her, and he calls the Daily Planet, and you know we see uh, you know Jim's hand pick up the phone, and then another hand pushes it down, and we see Jim in Perry's office in this trance-like state, and he's he's with this henchman who asks where the editor's files are. Which I wasn't sure when I when it first showed up, and he had that look on his face that that like a Jimmy look on his face. I wasn't sure if he was scared or like, like I didn't, I didn't get that he was in a trance like state at first. I thought he was just like really scared and like, you know, and then after like a minute I got it, you know? Yeah. I, I think at first glance, right. That's, I think that's yeah. a, a reasonable enough reading of it. You know, of, of course, you know, later on we'll find out it's this truth serum that he's been subjected to, but yeah, at the outset, I think that's a reasonable enough, you know, interpretation. And so he, he points the henchman toward Perry's filing cabinet and the guy, as Clark later says, jimmies it open. So nice, uh, nice pun there for for James Olsen, and and pulls out the Superman, the Superman folder. Uh, I guess they needed Jim to get into the building. I, I, part of me wonders. I know this is overthinking it and nitpicking it, but that's what we're here to do. Part of me wonders how necessary all of this was, and also how long this took. And, you know, if, if Jim leaves the office, what five? However long. I mean, it's been. It's been it took this long just to get into the office and ask where the filing cabinet is again i you know i'm probably overthinking it a little bit but uh True. but, but it's yeah. also like where does he keep the files in that giant filing cabinet the only one in the room right there <laughs> <laughs> that's no i know like that's the other thing maybe I, I can buy getting into the building and maybe even into perry's office maybe the office is locked and jim has a key or something but it's like where are those files it's like i don't know but where, where do you think it's like, yeah <laughs> Do they, I, I forgot to clock this when I was watching it. Do they call Jimmy Jim or Jimmy? Usually Jim. Really? Usually Jim. Okay. Yeah. Not exclusively. Okay. Clark usually, Clark calls him Jim? Okay. Yeah. It's not, there def, there's definitely Jimmy's thrown around, but I would say Jim, in this first season in particular, Jim more often than not. Okay. So, and we'll see as the series progresses, Jim becomes Jimmy in more ways than one, you know, right? And it was really played much more for comedic effect and, and stuff like that. Not that he yeah. isn't at all in the first season, but it is definitely a more a more subdued version of the character than we'll get later on. Yeah. I, I like this for I I really do like this first season, Jimmy Olsen. I I mean this first season in general, I think, is the best of all of the seasons. Yeah. Yeah. So while this is all going on, Superman, you know, flies in and very quickly, in the blink of an eye, changes into Clark. I guess he had a maybe he had a suit stashed away uh in the corner of Perry's office or something like that. Or uh we're never given any explanation, but maybe we subscribe to the comic book theory that he's got a pouch in his cape or something like that. Uh, but, you know, the henchman takes off. And then Clark. I, I did think that I did clock that when he landed in the room where Jimmy was there, I, I was thinking about him like, would, like I, in the, the reason for the show is they want to cut time. But I, in the in the reality of the, the world that they're in, do you think Clark was like. He landed and was like, oh, shit, he's here. Like, do you think he like was landing in there thinking no one would be in the room and be like, <laughs> and then be like really surprised and be like, oh, uh. <laughs> no, I don't. I, yeah, I think that I think when he called the office and he heard it answer and then hang up, okay, I, I yeah, guess yeah. that aroused his suspicions enough. So he then proceeds to shake Jimmy out of this <laughs> trance. Now, I don't know. I'm not we a doctor. Do the- what he'll do to other people later in the show too. Yeah. Now again, and I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if this is actually sound medical advice or this is just more of like an old wives tale, but, and I also don't know when this originated, but the idea, right. Typically you're not supposed to wake a sleepwalker. Yeah. Right. And at this point, I mean, maybe Clark is, he's just so savvy. He knows that something <laughs> else is going on, but at first glance, it looks like Jimmy is sleepwalking. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but he definitely gets a little, damn it, Jim, what's going on here? <laughs> He's super impatient, shaking, violently shaking him, you know? I know. He's like, God damn it, I was sound asleep. Your mother woke me. Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, you know, that, that, that wakes him up and, you know, we still don't know exactly what's going on. And so then we go, this is probably my favorite part of the episode. I am weirdly fascinated by this whole idea of the news, the news club. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to bring this up. I want to bring this up so badly to see what you're going to say. Is it, was the news club in more than one episode? It's, or is this the first time we've seen it? This is the first time we've seen it. I know in the rescue episode where Clark is at the DC office of the daily planet, the editor there is like, Hey, do you want to go to the news club and grab a bite to eat? And Clark's like, no, okay. I gotta go again. Always in a rush. Okay. <laughs> but I think this is the first time we've seen, it. I don't know that we see much of it. I'll keep an eye out for it, but it's, you know, it's the middle of the night where it's, it's past one o'clock at this point. <laughs> I was, this was bizarre to me. I, I did not clock what was going on. I had a, I literally had to rewind it and watch it again because I did not understand what was happening. I have to say, so uh, Rich Roney, a dear friend of mine, who's the guest on the next episode, he and I, for the past couple of years now, have, we consistently joke about this, how Perry White is in his room at the press club essentially akin to a hotel room in the middle of the night, ordering a cough coffee and a sandwich. (laughs) And as far as we can tell, there doesn't seem to be any breaking news or anything like that. No. So that's what I was so confused by. So for the listeners who haven't seen this, it cuts to a counter that says news club counter. And it looks like a food counter, like a diner. And a guy gives a, a tray to a waiter and is like, bring this up to Mr. White. He wants it now or something to that effect. And a waiter like, like, like with like a white jacket and a tie and like the little like towel around his, his forearm, like is carrying this plate up to Mr. White. And, and I'm like, wait, is he in a hotel or does he live here? Like I, I couldn't, un- I was like, wait, is he getting room service in his apartment? <laughs> like that's what I could not understand for the life of me. I'm like, is this like, is it a hotel? Is it is where he lives? Like what's going on? And he's wearing like a smoking jacket and he's like getting food delivered at one in the morning. It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot going on in the episode, but that's the thing that I always fixate on most about the secret of Superman is Perry White in the middle of the night ordering a coffee and sandwich at the news club. And being very upset. That's not like getting there like ASAP too. <laughs> Yes. And you know, we have the back and forth where the waiter is knocked out and then replaced by the, by the bad guy who, who, you know, brings it into Perry. And, and even then as, as the, the fake waiter is pouring the coffee, Perry's just like, you know, hurry up before it freezes. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got no time for this. I, he's like, do you want sugar in your coffee? No, just black and pour it before it freezes. You're taking so long. <laughs> I, I don't, like I wonder, I mean, if the closest equivalent I think of with the with the Daily Planet would be something like the New York Times, and you know, it's one thing to have sort of a, a commissary dining area. I mean, this this really was like a full on hotel. So I don't know how common this was for 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 large newspapers back in the day, or to what extent it exists now. But I definitely the first time I watched, I was like, "What? Like, w- where is this? What's going on?" And it's also, so bizarre. Yeah, presumably it's in the same building as the daily planet. I felt like that was a little, I'm not positive. I would imagine so, or at least nearby. I mean, I, I still, the first time I watched it, like I said, I had to rewind it. I thought he was getting room service in his apartment. And that was what like totally straight. And then when I rewound it, I saw the news club thing. And I was like, Oh wait, is this like, yeah, you're right. Like places have commissaries, but this is like full blown, like room service in the middle of the night, like a hotel. <laughs> Yeah, and I and, and look in fairness too, he's he has the editor in chief. So if anyone's going to have the best accommodations, it, it would be him. So maybe they only have one of these sort of suites. But but again, full kitchen and waitstaff. Yeah, and and if anyone who's been to hotels, most hotels like stop doing room service at like eleven. They cut it off. So it's like it's, it's easily is he the only person that gets room service and this is staff just for him for his sandwich and coffee at one in the morning. I know, just, I know, not a, not a particularly complicated order either. I, I, I feel like they could just, I feel like they could just stock a fridge for him and, and give him a, a, pie, yeah. a coffee maker or something. What, uh, what kind of sandwich do you think he's getting? Like you thought about this a lot. Like what, what do you imagine he's getting? What would, cause you know, my, my instinct is what would, what would I get? But I don't know. What would Perry White get? Nothing, nothing to, I feel like it would be 
like a turkey and cheese or something. I feel like it'd be very, yeah. very <laughs> yeah. standard. What about I think, you? I think like as complicated as it would go, it'd be like a turkey, turkey BLT, maybe. But yeah. like, I'm thinking you're right. Like I'm thinking like bologna and mustard like, is what I'm thinking. Maybe. I don't know if you ever watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, but he does periodically his Colbert questionnaire where he asks his guests a series of questions designed to get to know the core of them. One of the questions mm-hmm. is, what is the best sandwich? What would be your answer for that? Interesting. I mean, definitely turkey is my go-to meat. And then lettuce, tomato. I like to throw like olives on there, like black olives or like uh, banana peppers. Yeah. Nice. Oh, banana that's peppers. That's my go-to. That's yeah. a nice touch. I haven't had those in a while. That's a very nice touch. Yeah. I mean, Wegmans, shout out to our Northeast uh, crew over here. There's a grocery store chain called Wegmans that makes killer sandwiches. So, Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. mine would be Turkey Club. If I, if I were ever on the Late Show and I were, I were posed that question, for me, it would be Turkey Club. Maybe that's, what's, is, maybe that's what Perry White got. Is that turkey with bacon? Yeah. Is that, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. If that's an option, I'm always getting that too. So, yeah. I think the thing that, that gives me the most pause about this, right? I, I can I can buy into there are these quarters for some level of Daily Planet staff, the editor in chief at least, maybe others have access to it as well. I can even buy that they have, even if it's a limited kitchen and wait staff on hand for for something like this. This is the but what 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 stops me dead in my tracks is just why was he? I mean, I don't know. Because in my mind, it's like maybe he was staying because there was some breaking story. Or something like that, or or maybe they rotate who's on call overnight in case something wait, breaks. Wait. Maybe it's that. Let me blow your mind here, okay? What if when Clark got woke up in the middle of the night, he was also in the newsroom, the news club, where he was sleeping, and Jimmy's mom was in the news club as well, <laughs> and they all lived there. It's like basically an apartment complex for anyone who works there. <laughs> I love it. How crazy would that be? <laughs> I, I love it. So. I don't know. I, I think we've exhausted this as much as we can. People might be like, why are you talking about this so much? I don't know. I find it fascinating. I really find it fascinating. I also, you know what it is too, in all honesty, you know, just thinking about the state of print journalism these days, right? And it's a tough, mm-hmm. like it's a tough business, right? So yeah. even thinking of something like the New York Times, and I've been to the New York Times because I do have a friend who works in it. I've been there and stuff, but it's like, I can't imagine anything to that level existing today. And so I think that's sort of the other thing that I just keep coming back to. It's like, wow, yeah. like what an extravagance. But but also you think back to that time and like, I feel like people weren't extravagant, right? Like, I mean, I hear stories from my parents growing up. It's like, you know, money was like really tight for like most people. And so like to think that like, like, you know, like a newsroom would have these extravagant accommodations is just crazy, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, there's, I know that's a, that's a, that is a good counterpoint. So in any event, we have the fake waiter in the room drugging Perry's coffee. We see him drop a little pill. And this is the doctor himself at this point, right? Is it Dr. Ort? Yes. Yeah. 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 And we see Perry fall into this trance and Ort starts questioning him. Basically, like we were saying before, Ort points out these these connections, the frequency with which Superman appears in the Daily Planet, the Daily Planet always gets the story first, and and just this idea, you know, I think his question is like, who is Superman, right? Mm-hmm. And and Perry says he doesn't know, right? Right. Which, I, I mean, that leads that goes back to, sorry, excuse me, that goes back to our first question that I guess people do assume Superman's got a secret identity, then, right? Because like, if people didn't, they'd just be like, Superman, Superman, what are you talking about? Right. No, I know. That's just true. I also wonder what was in his files. What, you the know, address to the newsroom, the, I, the news club. To the news club, I guess. <laughs> but it's like, it was the Superman file in particular. And I, like, that's the thing. I wonder what's in there that wouldn't be in news clippings that this doctor might already have. It's a pretty thick folder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's for your listeners. It's a very thick folder. It's like, like it's like imagine a Manila like folded folder, but like bursting. Like it's like like two inches thick. <laughs> like so, maybe it's just copies of all the news stories. Maybe. The, yeah. What What would possibly be in there that like that would be like? Because it, it 
it's very akin to like um like a movie when like you see kids like breaking into like the deten- the dean's office to get like their transcripts like that's that's like the vibe that you get from this so you think there'd be all this like confidential information of superman and it's like what would what would be on there yeah i, I as we get deeper into the show more and more, and I say this in a lot of episodes, like I'm just so fascinated by what we don't see and what we don't know and like what's going on in the background and, and the backstory yeah. for some of these things. And look, and then we're just, you know, there's a prop here, it's just a device to move the story along. But but yeah, it just begs the question, like what what would Perry have had in there? And it's locked up. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have that many files either. That's the thing. Like this, it's like they say it's a giant filing cabinet, but it's, it's really not. There's maybe like six of these folders in there. Like it's like not a not. It's a weird thing to have in his office. <laughs> maybe it's all just uh, you know Perry just just writes. He speculates about what kind of sandwich Superman would like, and it's just like page after page. Yeah. Of like what 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 he would what would, what he would offer Superman if they ever dined together at the press club. <laughs> So eventually, I guess it's the real waitstaff enters and interrupts and, 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 and Ort leaves and Clark shows up because uh, he was heading there after he left Jim. Uh, and then we get in the next scene sort of this debrief with Henderson and Clark and, and Perry. And they're starting to connect these dots here. <clears throat> what was your take on this scene generally and especially Clark's, Clark's demeanor and the extent to which he, he is protecting his secret or not? <laughs> I mean, he's playing sort of fast and loose, no? Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's. Uh, that seems to be his mo on the show is just kind of throw it in people's face, and it's just, I, I don't know. It has this weird psychological effect where they don't seem to make the connection. Yeah, because he yeah, does I'm not go out of his that. way to try to <laughs> to try to throw off suspicion or anything like that. Because yeah. I, I think at one point, I think Perry says like, "Oh, he wants Superman, not you," and Clark just goes like, "You know, six of one or half a dozen of the other." <laughs> Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. He's like, well, maybe I'm Superman. Yeah, it's it's funny. And I do have to say that we haven't really talked about it yet. I love this version of Clark that is not bumbling, not goofy, not a caricature. He's like, like he's very confident, author- authoritative, like in command, um, kind of like, like if – the cast was a basketball team. He'd be the point guard. Like he's very much like the leader, like of like, of like, obviously of the cast of the show, but like also of the characters, he's like the lead character that everyone like looks to, to like take the point and like, like make things happen. And I just, I love that as Clark. Like I love that there's not, it's almost like Superman is like less important than than Clark. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways. So no, I, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons I love this show. And you and I have talked about as much as we, you know, we love the Christopher Reeve performance and, and all of that. I, I, I like a more competent Clark. And I do think, especially when we're talking television, I think if you're mm-hmm. really going to invest on a weekly basis, the, there has mm-hmm. to be more, there has to be more to Clark. He can't just be this caricaturish, caricaturish facade, right? There has to be yeah, some yeah. real weight to him. And so I think you see that here. I mean, uh, people will hear this in the next episode, you know, Rich's take on this has always been Clark is the real deal. Like Clark is it, and this show Clark is it Superman is just kind of an extension of, of that. And, I that, and that. that's kind of it. And I, I agree. agree. I think that's, I think that's an apt you know, description. I mean, that's kind of how I personally, how I kind of view the character in general. Like, I mean, we've talked about it on a ton of other shows of your, of your other podcast, digging for kryptonite, but yeah, I, that's kind of how I see the character in general is like, I think Clark is who he is, but like, in other media, I always see Clark as being almost like a little affected. Like it's like a, he's putting on a slight sort of performance to a degree. But like in this show, I think it's like straight up like Clark is 100% who he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a badass. No doubt. Yeah. I love it. I love badass Clark and badass Superman. I There's a moment here. I think it's in this scene where Perry says something to the effect of, like, I can't have people drugging my staff. They walk around half asleep as it is already, right? Something to that effect? Yeah, 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 So I spoke with my buddy, Zach Benz, who runs dailyplanetdc.com. Shout out to Zach and, and the real life Daily Planet. And that was one of the things that he called out about this episode. It's like, again, it's a very harsh Perry White. It's like not so concerned yeah. that his people are being drugged and, and taken advantage of, being exploited. Uh, or or worse, who knows? We don't know Ort's true intentions. He's just got this crack about how they're half asleep to begin with. 
Yeah, they're half asleep to begin with. I pay them too much. Like it's like what? So yeah. they hatch this it's plan. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, they hatch this plan where it's going to appear that Clark has been fired from the Daily Planet with this idea that he will now be the next target, right, for for this, Ort. I, I clocked this too. I thought this was funny. Is that he goes to the unemployment office and the lady's like, you're back here already again. It's like, wait, how long has this been going on? And then, I mean, how long realistically do you think this ruse has been going on? They've been. Okay. So this is another one of those things that Rich and I always laugh about because it seems like, and even though it's all for show still, it's like Clark has fallen apart almost instantly <laughs> where, filthy. where like he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's disheveled. <laughs> He gets turned away at the employment office. That that woman makes that remark. He goes up to the coffee cart and he can't even afford a cup of coffee. And he's he's and got he's already he already owes the guy money. Yeah, and he, and I'm not sure if you noticed this. It's kind of hard to see because it's black and white. But he's got like dirt stains all over his shirt, which is like like. But it doesn't seem like that much time has passed, though. That's the thing. Is like it seems like maybe like two days, maybe like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I can answer this because that was always my reading on it. And like I said, Rich and I have had a lot of fun at, at the episode's expense because of that. However, later in this scene, when the, you know, one of the henchmen approaches Clark, uh, Jim calls over the police officer who has been following him to protect him. Right. So mm-hmm. the whole, the whole idea here is that now, Henderson, the police force, they're going to, they're going to, again, offer protection to the Daily Planet staff because they know they're being targeted by this doctor. And Jim says to the cop who's been tailing him, you've been following me for weeks. There's a, there's a line about following me for weeks. Oh, okay. Which again, I didn't, I totally missed that the first time around. And I had the exact same thought you did. I'm like, it's been like a day or two. So I, (laughs) I think in the, in the timeline of this episode, I think more time has passed. It doesn't play that yeah. way right at the outset. But I think from that line, it's like they've, you know, they've been, you know, uh, at this for a little while. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it is hilarious. Okay, that, make, that, that makes more sense. Yeah. But even then, even then for Clark to have like in theory blown through the entirety of his savings in three weeks as a, as a very like what I would assume is a very high paid job. I mean, they have their own dinner club for Christ's sake. Like, you know, <laughs> like. I know, I know. I think about that too. It's like, yeah, not so much with the savings there, I guess. It just, yeah. it all, he just fell apart. Even, yeah. I know that's the thing. Even if it is a few weeks, that's still not that long. Uh, yeah. Not, not to like get to the point where like you owe the coffee, like the coffee vendor, like money and like literally like, just dirt all over them. <laughs> like, yeah. It's. And now look again, obviously it's. And, it's and, just, and yeah. like the, the unemployment office, like they're like razzing him. Like for keep coming back. Like that, that was the part I was like, wait, what? Like, I, I don't, I don't get this. Like, <laughs> uh, Yes, I know. I, and, and you wonder how, how many people are involved in this? Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe everyone's, maybe everyone's in on it. Maybe the coffee guy, the unemployment lady. I don't think so, but I'm uh, just trying to be generous here. Cause right. It's all this ruse, right? That they're making a big show of it to attract the attention of, yeah. of Ort. So it makes sense. And I, you appreciate Clark's commitment to the bit, but yes, it just feels like a lot in a very short amount of time. And it just feels like, Oh my yeah. God, this guy, this guy went, the guy's life went to hell instantaneously. But the cop who has been following Jim you know, tries to intervene and, and a shootout ensues and the, the henchman gets shot in the back. Yeah. He doesn't die. Yeah. Again, this was first season. He could have died. Yeah. Uh, and even the fact that yeah. he got shot, Again, we will not see that in later seasons. So, I mean, the cop gets shot in the leg too. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. And Clark, you know, Clark yeah. offers to help this guy and take him back to to the hideout. What it, because this was something else that Zach from the Daily Planet uh, called out was the fact that Clark takes him to the hideout, not to a hospital. Now, of course, Ort is a doctor and does try to save the guy, but he, he perishes. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like it tracks for this version of Clark where he's, you know, he's trying to get to the bottom of this. I don't know. I don't know how concerned he is necessarily with the well-being of this guy. I mean, he's super impatient. We've established that like, like no doctors takes too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I bought that. 
that you know he yeah. was, he was taking him to a doctor, and it was and it was to get to the bottom of the story. So I'm on board with that. So uh, so the next yeah. scene is is Clark and Ort uh, at the hideout, or I guess not even necessarily a hideout. It's this, this office, I suppose. And of course, we you know the henchman doesn't make it, and we get this exchange with Clark and Ort. Ort offers him a dead man sandwich again with the sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And offers him either beer or wine, but of course, you know he's Superman, so he has to he has to go with either a ginger ale or a milk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, I think he gives him ginger ale, right? Yeah, ginger ale, and of course, Ort drops the the pill in it. We see him do this a bunch of times in the episode here. He's I really yeah. got he's really got his mo. So you offer a drink, you, you plop that pill in there, and you know this creepy. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's cool. Like this is a cool scene because obviously we know Clark's not affected by it, and he's playing along. But Ort doesn't know. I like I, I, I like that whole bit. I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Well, I was actually wondering if it would affect him. You know, I was actually I didn't know. I was like, because this version of Superman is not. You know, like we said like a guy punching him in the face like hurts him. So like maybe he would have been affected. He's not, but you know. You know, it's funny, and obviously for people who have listened to my other show, you and I are massive Smallville fans. And, but this extends to, I think any iteration of the the Superman legend, it's like, you know, each show is making up its rules to an extent. Right. And there are times, of course, for all the Smallville talk, I'm, I, I can't pull something off the top of my head right this second, but it's like, there are times where you expect something to affect him and it doesn't or vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know necessarily. So I agree with you. It's like, we don't know exactly how this is going to go, but I like that. He was just playing along with it and or instructs him to dispose of the henchman's body and to think about everything he knows about Superman to spill the beans when he comes back. Uh, so, you know, Clark heads out and uh, and then we have Lois's Lois's uh, entrance on the scene here and her insistence on on going in. You know, this is something that comes up in pretty much every episode here. Uh, and, and since we're talking about Lois, it's now's a good time. Who's your preferred Lois in this series? Um, I liked the first one, the one that was in this series. Yeah. Phyllis Coates. I liked her better. Yeah. 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 I liked from, from my recollection, I haven't watched the later ones in, like I said, 15 years. So uh, I don't have, but I remember thinking that I like this one better at the time. Yeah. It's been unanimous so far on this podcast. I, I'm going to be curious as we move forward and if we get some differing opinions, but uh, you know, all respect to Noel Neal, who takes over in season two, but this Phyllis Coates Lois, uh, I, I love it. Even, you know, I really, I had some issues with Lois in the prior episode, Rescue, where she inserts herself into this mining rescue operation needlessly, I argued. And it it really sort of betrayed all reason and it kind of bothered me about that episode. Here too, we kind of get shades of this where she insists on going into the office uh, but I, I, I kind of like that. Then she says to Jimmy, he's like, I'm a newspaper woman and Clark's yeah. in there. Well, I am a yeah. newspaper woman. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that. And then we have, I liked this little dance between Ort and Lois, right? Like she knows he's up to no good. He knows she knows. He knows she's there to investigate <laughs> I mean, him. There's uh the scene where she's like getting her drink and Ort ever the creep is like, he goes, he goes, what's that? And she looks down on the floor and then she goes, Oh, what is that? Like, no, she, he goes, what's that? She looks down and like, is looked shocked. So then he goes, it's blood, but it's not Clark's blood. It's my, it's my, <laughs> it's my associate's blood. He died here. Like, it's like, he like questions himself and then answers it as if like, like it should have been like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it I was very funny. That was funny. And while he's doing that and she's distracted, he's like dropping that thing in her drink. <laughs> I know he's because that's the thing. She's savvy enough. She gets ahead of it. She insists on pouring her drink. She even says woman's privilege and she goes and she pours it herself. But yeah, I mean, this guy is, is very committed here and, you know, goes to that whole routine you just described. Uh, so now she succumbs to this truth serum. And I thought this was other than the press club and the, the 1am coffee and sandwich. I thought this was probably the most interesting aspect of the episode where, or, theorizes that she could be Superman. And he even says, he's like, Superman's so compassionate. He helps the weak. Maybe he is a woman. I, I thought, what, what's your yeah. take on that? I mean, 
Yeah, I didn't like think too hard about it. Um, I just think it goes into the idea that like no one knows who Superman is. Like they do that they, that joke, and I mean, he must not have ever seen Superman because like I think it's you know Superman is very clearly a dude. Like it's not like Spider Man where it's like head to toe covered. Like in theory, Spider Man could be anyone, you know. But um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think of it? Was your take? I well, you know, going back to where we started with you know, how reasonable it is for people to assume that there's a secret identity. I actually was like, you know what? People don't know the nature, the true nature or extent of Superman's powers. You know, it's not said explicitly here, but it's like, he could be a shapeshifter for all anybody knows. Right. So that was actually, my reading wasn't even necessarily that, you know, he hasn't seen Superman or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, maybe he thinks that he can change his form. Uh, So that kind of crossed my mind. That's true. Yeah. And then I think this also, I guess, speaks to just sort of views on the genders, you know, especially back then, although I think you probably still get a lot of this today, right? Where the qualities that he describes, you know, he assumes are more feminine qualities, right? (laughs) I thought that, I thought that was ridiculous. Like he's compassionate and caring, must be a woman. It's like, wait, what? It's like no man would ever protect the weak. It's like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting bit. And then, you know, and then you have the, you see Lois, she's under this trance, but you see Lois have this realization that, Clark's always there, but never at the same time, always right before or right after Superman. And she realizes it's, it's a big moment. Yeah. That Does goes she ever nowhere. Find out in the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it goes nowhere. Yeah. Does she ever find out in the show? Never permanently. Um, I, as I've said, I've not in other episodes I've mentioned, I've not watched all of the color episodes. So mm-hmm. there may very well be, episodes where she finds out that I'm not aware of, but if she does, it's never anything that continues past an episode. So that do that they, genie's always put back in a bottle if it ever even comes out again. Do they ever like have like a full blown romance in the show? Cause like in this, in this episode, they're just kind of like colleagues. They're not even like, like even like a hint of an attraction between Superman and Lois, like at all. There, there's a, there's one of the color episodes where Lois, the whole, most of the episode is a dream that Lois has and she marries Superman. So they, stuff like okay. that, but it's never, there's also another very famous color episode that I have seen where Superman pretends to either be engaged to or marry this undercover police officer. It's all part of a plot, but there's, you see some jealousy from Lois. Uh, and then actually in the next episode that we're going to talk about, No Holds Barred, uh, there's a wrestler who kind of takes an interest in Lois and Clark has a little bit, it's very subtle, but he does have a little bit of a reaction to it. And Perry, of all people, even calls him out on it. He's like, you know, listen, is this is this about Lois's friendship with that wrestler? So there are hints of it, but it's never it's never fully yeah. explored. It's not like Lois and Clark, for example. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, this show was made for like like eight year old like dudes in the fifties. So like, I can I understand why that wasn't a focal point of the show. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 No. Very. Uh, very true. So. This brings us to our climax, which again, I feel like was a, a little bit of a letdown, although we do get a great Jim uh, moment. So the doctor makes Lois bring Jim inside and then he takes them into this soundproof room. Like he's gotten what he wants, this, I, the knowledge that Clark is Superman and he's going to execute the two of them. And Jim Olsen puts himself between Lois and the gun to act as a human shield. That, that's a yeah, hero. That, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this Jimmy is definitely more cool than like most Jimmy's are in like pretty much all the media, you know, like he's, this is like a very heroic version of Jimmy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then of course, Superman intervenes and is able to stop this and, you know, shakes Lois out of it. Yeah. Gives her whiplash. This is what I, this is what I was, was bringing up earlier before he goes, he shakes her out of it and her head snaps back and forth so far. I'm like, Ooh, she definitely had, she definitely had to see like a chiropractor after that. That would look like it hurt. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I left out probably the most important part that before he wakes her up, she says, you're Clark. Yeah. And then he wakes her up and look in, in defense of the show, they've established each time someone's been drugged when they come out of it, they don't remember anything. So mm-hmm. her lack of memory totally tracks. Uh, while this is happening, the doctor's outside in a shootout with the police. He gets shot and killed, of course, because we can't have him, leave this episode with that information that Clark is Superman and, and you know, Superman is secure that, that Lois does it. I think the last line of the episode, he's like, you're sure <laughs> you're sure you don't know, you know, you don't remember anything and that's it. Yeah. 
You're sure, I, damn it. You're sure. <laughs> I, I just, when I say I felt like it sputtered out, I just feel like for that brief moment where Lois knew, it would have been cool to have any any more of an exchange between the two of them. And I know she was in an altered state, so she wouldn't have been herself anyway, but I, I don't know. I just, it was such a brief moment. I just wish that it had been capitalized on a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it ends very abruptly, this episode. Like, it, it just kind of like ends. She's like, yo, no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Okay, thank God. And like the, the credits like came and come up, like, like instantly, yeah. I will uh, say I'm noticing more and more with these episodes. In a lot of cases, they do kind of just, Sometimes there is more of a button on them and sometimes it works well and other times it's a little bit forced and other times it's a little bit more abrupt like this. So, mm. uh, yeah, I don't know that this one totally stuck the landing, but it was still a fun and, and interesting one. Is there anything about the episode that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? Uh, um, I guess this isn't specific to this episode, but like, what did you, what do you think of like, this version of Metropolis being like very clearly 1950s Los Angeles with like low buildings, like no tall buildings. If you ever notice this in the show, like when he's flying around, there's like very few tall buildings. It's all like the low spread out kind of Metropolis. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's funny too. Cause even when the thing that I think about more than that is whenever they're on location and there's a, a car chase or something like that, they're always in these fields right outside yeah. the city. And, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can, it's consistent at, enough, at least within the context of this world. It's not what I think of when I think of Metropolis, but it, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really bother me or take me out of it. And I think I've just gotten used to it at this point, but what about you? Yeah. I mean, I like, it, it reminds me of the Rocketeer. Um, did you ever seen that movie? No. Or no? No. no. Oh, I know. I know. Man. We, we got that. We, that's gotta be a digging for justice episode. All right. Like when, when you get out of the DC, like take one little trip out of DC to, do another superhero like that's a, I mean especially if you like this show you will love the Rocketeer like I'll say that to anyone listening like if you like this like aesthetic for like a superhero show Rocketeer is great all right no it's I, it's been on the list for forever so uh no nah, I'm on board I'm on board so the last thing that we typically do in these episodes is we rate them so I have a my my fedora rating system on a scale of one to five fedoras how many would you give this episode the secret of superman I would give it maybe a 3.5. What would you give it? You know, I'm going to go three. I'm going to go three. I think I was going into my rewatch expecting it to be a little bit higher, but again, I think it, I think it just sort of crapped out a little bit in the end. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go three. A solid episode. I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I don't think it's among the stronger ones. Well, at the beginning of the episode, I said it was one of the stronger ones. It, it, it is to an extent, but it, it doesn't reach the heights of some of the other ones. So I'm going to stick with the three for this. Superman's not in a lot of it, so that brings it down. But the dining club is, so like that kind of bumps it up. <laughs> so I, it's it's a weird, and I do like the like the 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 mystery sort of like gangster aspect of it, the crime noir kind of aspect. So yeah, I mean it's definitely not a five, and like. I don't think it's, I think it's a 3.5. Yeah. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's quite a four, but it's not quite a three for me. It's like, yeah. All right. Right on. That's a solid, that's yeah. a solid score. So for people who want to follow you, check out more about your art, the current project that you're working on death shroud, which is currently in the midst of an Indiegogo campaign, where would you want to direct people? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you can follow me on the socials on Instagram is at V Marion and Twitter is at V K Marion. And um, I'm, a comic, I'm a comic book artist, and the project that I'm currently got work on right now is called Death Shroud. It's a new independent comic book. Um, the crowdfunding is going on right now on Indiegogo. Um, so please go Google Death Shroud comic book, Death Shroud Indiegogo. It's the giant size, issue number one, 52 pages, um, drawn uh, art by me, colors by Andrew Dollhouse, written and created by Chad Larson. It's a dark anti-hero kind of in the vein of like a spawn and dark siders, um, uh, Diablo video games, um, venom, like for all the kind of properties like that, like it's in that sort of vein and, uh, like ilk. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, please go check it out. Um, we have, um, we have six issues already done in the can. This is for the first one. So, um, they're going to be shipping immediately. So please go check that out. Um, yeah, it's been absolute blast. It's a, 
great, fun, awesome comic book. And, um, and follow the socials for Death Shroud too on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. I hope everyone will check that out. And I'll throw a link to the Indiegogo campaign in the show notes for this. Uh, thank you. Thank wish you. Wish you and the rest of the creative team a lot of luck with the campaign. Uh, so thank you, Ken. Always a pleasure when we get to talk Superman. This is the first time we got to do it on this show. Uh, and yes, I look forward so to the, fun. I look forward to the next time. We've already got you booked for Ghost Wolf down the line. So oh, I can't that. wait. I can't wait. I'm hoping that's like a, like a supernatural spooky one. I, ba- I picked it based off the title. So like if it is, I'm going to be psyched because like, yeah, I do not remember what it was. So I, I'm very excited. All right. Well, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Ken. Thank you, audience. As always, I really do appreciate it. Uh, make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all new episode adventures await. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.